Yesterday, we, uh, Friday, we celebrated the homegoing of my 101-year-old mother, Sonia Delina, with a memorial service. It was just a small gathering um, that we came together, and it was a joy that even though I realized her life that we celebrated, that she lived 101 years, just a few months short of 102 it's amazing that grief still accompanies loss. Even to have my mom for, for many, sometimes for really just for many more years that many people sitting here haven't had their parents. And then it hit me. One of those things that hit me very deeply on Friday night was the thought of being an orphan. Even at 60 years old, I realized I'm an orphan now. I have no more parents. Three times in my life, I faced a difficult moment and I remember being on the phone with my father and my mother as I was expressing to them what I was faced with. And I remember hearing these words from my parents. And it were these words, just come home. Just come home. And to not have those people on the other end to call me home has left a little bit of a blank spot. Left a little bit of a hollow place in my heart. It was the great... Classic Christian writer C.S. Lewis, who said this, he says, the death of a beloved one is really like an amputation. It's, it's those amputees that talk about sometimes ghost limbs, that you feel like it's there. And sometimes you do, you feel like, I still have my mom and dad on my phone to call them, but I know I can't call them. And it's like the loss of a limb to lose them. Grief is such a strong word and one of the hardest battles anyone can ever face. It's mostly a word that is associated with loss and death. After being in ministry for over four decades, I've seen grief and loss at so many levels. I've done funerals for tragic gang shootings, drive-by shootings. Sometimes the funeral at the church was full of teenage gang members and you're, and you're speaking to, to young people that, that literally have just sold out their lives for wrong things. I've done... Funerals in hospitals where a couple was expecting to celebrate a baby girl or a baby boy and it was born dead, it was born stillborn. And sitting in the chapel at a hospital with, with two hollow looking parents that, didn't, that could not believe what has happened. And now what was supposed to be a celebration, you're doing a funeral at a hospital. Funerals from shocking suicides to young cancer victims. As I'm doing doing a funeral and looking at a front row of young children. Remember one young mother that passed away from cancer and five children under the age of 12 sitting in the front row, a father who is perplexed and sitting there thinking, what do I do now as I'm speaking to all this family? And even when death is expected, like the case of my mother and being prepared for grief was still there, and still strong. But I want to say to you today that no matter what you're facing, today may be one of the most important messages in this entire series. It will be one of the most useful messages because you will return to the principle of this message. If you don't need it now, hold on. You're going to need it at some point. And what I want to talk to you about and I want to teach you today is I want to give to you a prayer to pray when you face your toughest moment in life. A prayer to pray 
when you face your toughest moment in life. The hardest funeral, though, that I've ever done was many years ago back in Detroit. Just a few blocks from our church, there was a single mom that had three precious little children that was facing financial difficulties and they could not pay their electric bill and their heat was turned off in in a Midwest winter. And what they did to keep their home warm was they would take extension cords and plug it across the alley to their neighbors outside and put electric heaters in the home. Well, that combination of extension cords and electric heaters turned into a house fire. And the problem was that in that area, what was not uncommon was to have bars on the windows and the doors. When the house caught fire, and I saw it because I was, I was doing something at the church, drove by and saw them trying to put it out, not realizing there was a mom and three children inside, they couldn't get out because their own home became a prison. It became a jail cell. And on that night that there were four people that perished needlessly in a house fire. When I came back the next day, nothing existed that the house literally burned to the ground. But what still causes emotion inside of me was presiding over that funeral at our church and looking, as I have many times, over an adult-sized coffin and then to look next to it and see three little tiny kid children coffins. Folks, I could just tell you to this day, it's something to see four coffins in front of me still evokes emotion deep inside of me. And without being insensitive, one coffin brings enough pain. Four coffins is almost unbearable. But what if it wasn't one and four? But what if you're standing up here like I did for that moment at that funeral and you see 10 coffins in front of you? That as a father, you're looking and you have 10 children. Your 10 children are in front of you and the funeral is going on. Well, folks, that's the book of Job. It was a 10-coffin funeral for a father whose all 10 of his children perished. And folks, keep this in mind. In one day, this wasn't even over a span of a period of time. I've walked people through, even in this church and beyond, people that, that have lost one child and the grief seems just, just unimaginable. But 10, 10 coffins, I can't even imagine. And here is what is amazing to me, that the, right after the funeral, Job says these words. Listen to it. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Folks, I don't know where that can come from except God speaking those words through him. But what's amazing to me is Job did not say the Lord gave and the devil took away. He said the Lord has taken away. And then Job follows with this declaration Blessed be the name of the Lord. Folks, Job said God is praised if God is taking, and God is praised if God is giving. Listen, because the praise of Job here 
is not just praise the Lord for addition, but it's a praise the Lord for subtraction. We have emphasized in the church today that God is the God that gives. But somehow, we have not taught you how to pray when something is praise, when something is removed from your life. Can I just remind you, God is a good God. And God has given so much to us. And when he gives, it's easy to praise. He's given a job. He's given a marriage. He has given a child. He has given provision. He has given healing. He has given breath. He has given a place to stay. He has given us a home. And we can right there, do you see what just happened? Immediately we go to, he's good. But he's also the God that can take back. He's the God that can stop a relationship. He's a God that can stop things and say, I want this back. And can I remind you today, there may not be any other churches that say this, but we'll say it according to scripture. He's good when he gives and he's good when he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that becomes our biggest test of praise is when God chooses part B of that verse. And we're called to say, blessed be the name of the Lord when something has been taken from us. When, we, when the diagnosis and health is taken. When, when, when a, a, a loved one is taken. He's still worthy to be praised. But it's usually at takeaway where we face the battles. I mentioned to you C.S. Lewis, the classic Christian writer. I was reading about when C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy Davidman, died of a horrible bout with cancer. They were married just less than a few years, but Lewis kept a journal of the journey. And much later, not unbeknownst to him, it would be published after his death, and he had no intention to have it published. It was his raw thoughts of the battle, of losing just one person, your wife, and watching her begin to shrivel up in front of you. It was C.S. Lewis's private thoughts and mental battles at, in a sense, Job's, what Job talks about, takeaway, subtraction season. The book is called, it's probably one of the most profound books, it's called A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. His raw thoughts. It's his journal during and after his wife's death. And sometimes when I've read this book a number of times, Sometimes I feel like I'm not supposed to be reading this, like I just pulled out his diary that wasn't meant for me to read. But you see how he processes his faith during the most tragic moment of his life, his takeaway and his subtraction season. And here I want to read to you an excerpt from his journal of what was going on, of really a battle that I have to think maybe Job faced, you may be facing or facing who are watching around the country and around the world. Listen to this, this portion of his diary, Grief Observed. C.S. Lewis writes this, not that I'm in danger of ceasing to believe in God, becoming an atheist. The real danger is coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but the conclusion I dread is, so this is what you're really like. 
That's the battle. Folks, that's raw. That's, that was what was going on in his takeaway season, the part B of Job 121. But here's the incredible thing. C.S. Lewis was asked this amazing question after the death of his wife, and it was the question we've all asked, and it was this. Why do the righteous suffer? And I love his answer. Lewis said, they're the only ones who can handle it. Something deep inside of them, or let me say it this way, someone inside of them gives them the strength. If you're a Christian today, God has given you the ability to go through takeaway moments. And Job is going to teach us a prayer today on how to face not just death, but the toughest moments of your life. Job's takeaway moment, if you could believe it, don't miss this, what I'm about to say. Job's subtraction moment, his takeaway moment, was, you ready for this? Even worse than 10 coffins. Worse than that. The hardest battles we face are not just the battle that comes. Have you ever faced this? Back to back battles. Or how about this one? Back to back to back, where you can't even catch your breath. And for Job, it was back to back to back to back. Maybe you don't realize this. Let me read it to you. But in one day, Job loses all of his children, all of his assets, all of his property, and his health. Can you even imagine that, folks? Job is childless, homeless, sick, and broke in one day. Can we just be clear? We don't have problems. Let me just say this. This is huge. And the side note of it is this. I've, I've, I've been kind of wondering whether to say this, but I'll just say it. Job is childless, homeless, sick, and broke all in one day. The only thing he has left is his wife. Cindy's not here, so I'm going to say this part. And it says, the elders are already shaking their head at me. They're going, and if you know the story, her reaction in the loss, he probably wish, fill in the blank. I'll just leave it at that moment right there. Think about it for just a moment. You lose your property. You lose your assets. You lose your health. You lose your children. We may face one of those in our lifetime. But to face four in one day, you may face one of those and you know the grieving of what it is to lose everything. Maybe you're an entrepreneur, maybe you're an inventor and you started something and lost everything. And you knew the grief, the hurt, and the strain of that. But imagine all of it happening in one day. You lose property, assets, children, and health. But what do you say to a man who is standing in front of 10 caskets, sores all over his body, doesn't have the money to pay for his own children's funeral, and then when it's the funeral's over, think, think about this, he doesn't even have a home to go to. What do you say to a man like that? How do you counsel him? It's, it's amazing to me. I, I, I jotted this down in my notes as I was thinking about it. There is a theological debate 
of the very first book of the Bible that's written. We understand Genesis is the beginning, the beginning of the beginning. We got that. That's not a problem. But there were, there's a debate in theology which book was the first written, the oldest book. And the debate is everybody leans towards Job being the first book that was written. In fact, they call Job a contemporary of even Abraham in the Bible. And here's what's incredible. If that's true, think about it. God in his incredible mastermind thought, let me immediately address the question of humanity. And that's this. How can suffering and God coexist together? And puts 42 chapters from the very beginning, if that's what the first book is. What was it that Job was going through? What was the fight that Job was facing here? Let me just explain it like this. Malachi 3.3 call these Job moments for him and for you, here it comes, the refiner's fire. This is an important phrase. Some of you may be new in the faith. Some of you may be new to come, in coming to Christ. This is an important part to know of what God is doing in our lives. It's taken from the last book of the Old Testament. Listen to this. It says in Malachi 3.3, like a refiner of silver, he will sit closely and watch as the dross is burned away. That's the impurities. He will purify the Levites, the worshipers, the ministers of God, refining them like gold or silver. I love this last part. So that they will do their work for God with pure hearts. Okay, get this down now. God is the refiner and pain and suffering is the fire. That's what, that's what happens. So when that happens, now I have, to, I have to speak to this for just a moment. Because we were being reminded by the prophet Malachi that since it's a refiner's fire, it's a refiner's fire, that you don't come out burned, you come out purified. That on the other end, that's the difference here. The difference is how can, some, how, can, how can someone who doesn't know God and someone who does know God go through the same experience and one come out bitter but another come out better? How does that happen? Well, that's the refiner's fire because when you go into it with God, you come out better. Now let me explain this because the refiner's fire sends fire. Jot down these two words. It's for purity or purifying and moldability. I'll explain that in a second. It's purifying and moldability. It purifies the metal. I was reading the story of a young man who happened upon a silversmith who was refining his silver from raw materials. And so he took the silver and put them in the pot, the cauldron, and he asked the refiner, he says, why do you heat the metal? And the refiner answered and said, in order to make precious silver, you have to remove the impurities that make it worth less than it really is. And, and then he says, then why do you sit while you work? Listen to this now. This is really good. The refiner said, I have to watch the fire, that's the pain part, the suffering, I have to watch the fire closely. Too little heat, the impurities are not removed. Too much heat, and the precious metal 
will be destroyed and made worthless. That, that was good news to me, which means no matter what I go through, it's God that has his hands on the knobs. It's, it's not Satan. It's not anybody else. God goes, I know what I'm doing. I know how hot it should be. But here's the, here's the great part. And then this young man said this. He says, how do you know when the silver is done and purified? Here it is. And the refiner smiled and said, I sit here and wait. I know the purifying is complete when I can look in and see my reflection on the silver then the job is complete. Hallelujah. That means when you go through the fire, and some of you are in the fire right now, and all of a sudden, but here's good news. God controls the knobs. God has his hands on the temperature. When is this going to be over? When you look like Jesus, that's when it all of a sudden God goes, they've gotten through it. They've made it through this thing. But there's another word for being moldable or malleable. That's the capability of being shaped in to whatever the refiner wants. Remember this. Get this. The refiner changes the shape of the metal while it's in the fire. Because what that does is heat makes the hard soft. So while you're in your fire... God changes your shape, which means in the fire, you get to be in the best shape of your life. Better than what tofu and planet fitness and almond milk can ever do is the purifying work of Jesus, hallelujah, himself. So that means what you were before the battle is not what you're going to be after the battle. That excites me. Now, let's go, let me get to this prayer part because the Job of chapter 42 is not the same Job of chapter 1. The man that went in at the beginning is not the same man because he went in, it was the purifying process. God's hands on the knobs and God was changing the shape of Job in the fire. He is in the refiner's fire for 41 chapters. If gold is to be hammered into something precious, then the whole thing has to be in the fire. So that's why there may be times when you're th thinking to yourself, why is everything on fire in my house? It seems like something's going after my marriage, my children, our finances, the job, every. Folks, when everything is in the fire, God is doing something. That's what's happening here. So I'm going to give you what to say during those times. Anybody ever, let me, let, you don't have to answer for now, but let me ask you this. Anybody ever in their life felt like everything was in the fire at some point, okay? If you haven't, it will. So you better listen today. And it's just a confirmation that the refiner is working out something. Job is in the refiner's fire. But on the other side, we're going to learn a prayer to pray when we go through our toughest moments, when it seems like it's back to back. What's interesting is that the entire book of Job and his sufferings, the refiner's fire, 
that he went through is about a year long. It's about a year. It's, it's, when you read it, Job will say at many places, weeks or the words months. But when you get to the very end, it's about a year long is what the refiner's fire was. And what Job received at the end, he came out differently. Listen to what it says in verse 12 of the last chapter. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. Which meant, if I can get you to the other side of this fire, there's something I'm going to do very powerful in your life. This is what happens when you get through. That, but I want to help you navigate through that season. So here's what's incredible. After everybody speaks in the book of Job for 37 chapters, God finally shows up in chapter 38. Everybody had an opinion. Everybody was telling him why he was going through it. Everybody was going to begin to go through, here's my theological, my, my insight. Oh, I've been through this, bro. This is why you have to, you have to go through it. This Everybody, four friends that, that came through. And in fact, if you read at the very end, God says that the voices that Job was listening to, he says twice at the last book, he says, what they said about me was all wrong. So I'm going to get to that in a second. Let's get to when God shows up. 37 chapters later, chapter 38, it says this, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And whatever God said in the next four chapters, it changed Job. He came out a new man. He came out on the other side. Let me read to you the new Job. This is the Job on the other side of the refiner's fire, and then I'll teach you the prayer. Job 42, these are the words of Job through the fire. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. He comes out an honest man and says, I thought I knew stuff until I went through the fire. Verse four, you said, listen, and I will speak. I have some, this is God speaking. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And verse five, I love this verse. Job says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. He says, everything was hearsay. Everything was, was secondhand. But when I went through that fire, knew that your hands were on the knob, knew that you were looking at the temperature of the flames, when it's all said and done, I only heard about you, but now I, hallelujah, see you. And, and don't you love this? What it purified, it purified even his own theology. This is what he says, verse six. I take back everything I said. <laughs> That's fantastic. I take it all back. I thought I was a theologian. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. That's amazing to me. So here's my question as, as we just kind of unfold this prayer. What was it that God said that fixed this? What did God say to change Job? I, and I, I, wanna, I want us to look at those chapters 38 through, through 41 to see what took this man that is known to go through the worst trial of human history but come out better on the other side? Folks, so get ready and strap in in these next few moments. It's from these God speeches 
We're going to take our prayer for our toughest times. Because God speaks to the man that lost everything in chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. So my question is this. What do you say to a man who lost everything in one day? What do you say to that man? Here it comes now, folks. Nothing will be on the screen, so you don't even have to write anything because I don't want you to miss what God has to say. It is going to shock you, these words. I read them over and over, especially this, these last few days. I just kept reading them, reading them, reading them, reading them. I'm going, I, well, let me, let me just tell you, here are the overviews. 38, 39, 40, and 41. Here we go. What does Job hear from God? Job 38. He talks about the earth and its measurements, the stars, the oceans, and the clouds, sunrise and sunsets, the depths of the sea. Where does light live and darkness dwell? Where does God store snow and hail? He then starts talking about animals like lions and ravens. He talks about how they hunt, their eating habits, and even how baby ravens cry for food. Job 39, God continues to speak and in this chapter, he simply has a barrage of questions and a whole bunch of animals. So in chapter 39, he talks about the mountain goat and the deer, how they give birth, the donkey, the wild oxen, and how he works on the threshing floor with grain, the ostrich, and how they flap their wings, the horse, his neck, and his snorting, and his hoofs, how majestic the horse is that goes into battle. He talks about a hawk and an eagle and how they begin to build their nests. Chapter 40, he only picks one animal, behemoth, or the hippo. He talks about a hippo's bones, limbs, thighs, his power, and his tail. And if it gets any better, Job chapter 41, he talks about one animal, Leviathan. Many thinks it's the crocodile. And he talks about his teeth, his scales, his eyes, and his breathing. It's like God gives a zoology lesson, and I'm dying here, bro. I need, I got to get out of this thing. And you're talking about crocodiles and hippos? Are you serious, folks? Look at me. That's it. That's all he gets. I'm reading this going like, there must be like an addendum. There must be something in the back of the book, like some secret code on how to get through this. He's telling about clouds, hippos, and mountain goats, and that's going to get him through the battle of his life? Folks, read it. I'm not exaggerating anything. I went through this. And he hears about all of this biology, zoology, like you're at the Bronx Zoo, and all of a sudden, Job goes, ah, I know that you could do anything. No one can stop you. I take back everything I said. I go, Job, did you just hear what I read? Because that doesn't seem like I was waiting for some great theological thing, and he talks about animals. How is that enough to get you through your tough times? And some of you are going like, all right, Pastor Tim, you got to help us here. Okay, listen. First, before I teach you the prayer, I realized I got it all wrong. The number one question in pain is always why. Why did this happen to me? We really want God to tell us why it happened. But here it comes, folks. Knowing why is not what you need to get through your toughest times. But knowing who God is gets you through the toughest times. 
people are sitting here listening to me and listening throughout the week, getting mad at God for not answering their questions. There are some that even sit here now that you have walked away from God, won't serve God. Maybe you're teetering on agnosticism and even atheism because you don't know why your grandfather died who you loved and revered. You don't know why he would take home, subtraction, your grandfather or grandmother. You don't know why because the question goes, why was I diagnosed with this? Why did my parents divorce? Why was our child this way physically? Why don't I have money and they do? Why did I ever marry this man? We'll skip by that one. Why do, why do I live here in this city? Why don't they ever ask me to be a leader? Why am I not in ministry pastoring a church? And folks, you don't need a why to get through this or the answer to a why. See, Job, here's what's amazing. Job never heard why or what happened in those four chapters. You know what happened. Satan shows up in heaven. For those that read the book of Job, read chapter one. Satan shows up in heaven and, and God is the, the one that provokes the battle. Job is going like, yo, I don't know if he said that, but it just sounds right. Yo, have you seen my servant Job? And now I'm going to update the, he's the man. And Satan goes, no, 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 no. He said, take subtraction, take some stuff away, and he'll curse you. And God goes, watch this now. God's about to talk with his hands on the knobs. He goes, okay, you can go ahead and go after his belongings, even his family. You can go after his health. This is knob talk, knob. He says, but you can't take his life. And God goes, I'm going to show you that's my boy. That even when you take it away, when it's all said and done, you're going to see, I'll see my reflection in that man in the next year. Go ahead and start the battle against him. I could just see God going, you watch him. That's my boy. That's Job. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? Look at this Times Square church. Listen, listen, Poland. Listen, Poland. Le listen, St. Grenadines. Listen, UK. Isn't it amazing? In those four chapters, God never said that. He never once said, hey, Satan, man, Satan called me out. I'm God. You can't call me out. He never said that. He said, Job, I was defending you. Job, I knew you would. He never said any of that. Wouldn't it have been easier for those four chapters if God would have explained the story of what went on in the, in the spiritual realm that we didn't know what was happening? You read it in chapter one. Job has no idea why everything went against him. And God doesn't explain it with this is what happened in heaven. All he does is give him the building, the, the, or, or literally the, the living habits of eagles, hawks, and the flapping of wings of ostriches. And God decides, that's all you need to get through this. Because the arrogance and pride of man, self-diagnosing himself, says, 
I demand God to know why. We demand an explanation from God of our pain in order to let God know, if you want me to continue to believe in you, I want to know why this happened to me. God goes, I'll tell you about ostriches. And you think, because there are people sitting here that, that literally with this huge why on them, Job not only didn't get the answer, okay, I didn't put this in the notes because I just discovered this this morning. If I was to show you my Bible, this is what I did. I went through Job 38, 39, 40, and 41, and I circled every time God asked the question. This is not what you want to be if you're Job. Do you know God asks him 77 questions? I'm going, I would be going, bro, I'm here for answers. And you just messed it up with 77 more questions. Read it. Take 38, 39, 40, and 41. See how many times you circle the question marks that God asks. So here's the question. What is the prayer of the baffled? What is the prayer for one that's at the end of their rope. What is the prayer to pray? Maybe it's not death, maybe it's diagnosis, maybe it's family, maybe it's provision, maybe it's back to back to back to back. What is the prayer to pray when you're facing your toughest moment and season in life? What is it that helps you fight this battle? And we learn from Job with what God told him in chapters 38 through 41. Folks, I have to tell you, here is what, here is the prayer, get ready now, that I learned to pray in my toughest moments. Now this is, we're coming to the conclusion, but it's a, once again, it's a long conclusion. So let me just, let me just say this, because this is what I wanted to get to. This is it. Now folks, what I'm about, what I'm about to share with you is not in the scriptures, it's what I learned to pray because of 38, 39, 40, and 41. It's what I learned to, it's what I learned that if, that if this is what got this man through pain that never in human history, never in human history, someone had to face all this that he faced in one day. And God chooses to speak about animals, nature, hail, snow, crocodiles and hippos what is the prayer that I learned here it comes folks it's this God talk about anything you want but just talk say anything you want to say but just say something folks here let, let, listen to it because some of you are gonna miss this some of you some of you thought I was gonna be so profound this is profound. God, talk about, talk about hippos and crocodiles. As long as you talk, I can get through anything. Listen, here's the prayer. It goes like this. Let me, let me, let me even bring out more. I need to hear your voice more than anyone else's voice. Because I'll hear people's voice. I'll text them, email them, and call them. I, and I want to skip those 37 chapters of talking to everybody else. I just need you to talk to me, God. I need for you to say something to me. Folks, it's this. 
You ready for this? Here it comes. Let's make it even simpler. I need just one word from you. That's all I need. I just need you. One word from you to come and speak. If, here, this is what he, if mountain goats and ostrich talk from the lips of God, got a man through who lost 10 children, all of his assets, his home, and his health in one day. It can get me through anything I am going through as long as God speaks. It's this church. Say anything you want, God, but just say something. Say something, oh God. I, I, I just need one word from Jesus. One word from Jesus. Folks, I, I'm just telling you, I'm learning this more and more in my life that when I'm going through it, my default program in me wants to pick up that device called a cell phone and dial somebody. Go, this is what I'm going through. I need somebody to listen. And instead of falling to my knees and saying, oh God, one word from you. That's all I need. I don't care what you say. Talk about crocodiles and hippos. Just say something to me. Listen, let me, let me finish with this as, the, as musicians come. Listen to this, listen to this, because this is so important. Red letters in the Gospels is when Jesus is talking. That's when we know Jesus is talking. If you have a Bible, like I do, when you're reading the Gospels, if it's red, you know Jesus is speaking. But there are rare moments in the New Testament when you get surprised between Acts and Revelation, Christ is in heaven. The resurrected, ascended Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. And there are these glimpses and moments when heaven opens and red letters fall into a situation. Folks, it's, you'll see it in Revelation. You'll see it in the epistles. You'll see it in the book of Acts when out of nowhere someone's going through it and boom, these red letters show up. You're go it was like their chapter 38 through 41. It was their moment. It was their refiner's fire. And then all of a sudden, God speaks. God shows up. Let me give you one of those rare moments that the red letters showed up during one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's toughest moments in life. Here it is, listen to it. One of the toughest moments, and all of a sudden, here in 2 Corinthians, it's like Paul is starting to pray and going, I need out of this, I need help. And he's gonna ask questions upon God in his toughest moment, and wait till you see how God responds to him. It is so Job-like of what happens. Listen to it. He says in Verse seven, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. We, we, people speculate what this is. We're not sure. He says, and then he describes it further. It's a messenger of Satan to what? Torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So what do I do? Concerning this, I implored, implored the Lord 
three times that it might leave me. This is so good. Listen to this. He's faced with this thorn in the flesh, and his prayer is this. You got to get rid of this. It's self-diagnosis. He's self-diagnosing. I'll be better if you get rid of this. It's self-diagnosing. He was basically saying, get me out of this refining fire and I'm good. And remember, folks, look at me. Remember, listen, balcony. Remember, his hands are on the knobs and he's looking for a reflection. His hands are on the knobs. And so he's asking him, He's asking him this question. He says, so I implored him, take this away, take this away, take this away. Now here it comes. Here comes the ostrich, hawk, alligator talk. Here it comes. So I asked him, take it away. So you would expect God to go, yes, no, wait. Mm -mm. Here it comes. Listen to the words. And he, here comes red letters said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Okay, leave that up there for a moment. This is, Paul's going, hey, I want this gone. God goes, I'm talking about grace. See, what was taking place was this. What was going on was he was praying about the removal of a thorn in the flesh, but hears about grace. He was asking for one thing, and God gives him something else, but gives him red letters, folks. Don't miss this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul's speaking now. Now, this gets incredible. Paul says, because he said to me these things, he said, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weakness, look at this now, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Verse 10, now this is incredible. Therefore, this is Paul's chapter 42. Therefore, I am well content. This is the man who is going, get these things out of my life. And then he goes, I'm well content, don't miss this now, with, here it comes church, with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Keep that on the screen for a moment. Do you see what just happened? He said, I want this thorn out. I want this. And God goes, not only am I not going to take the thorn out. Don't miss this. He says, but I'm going to give you such grace that, what, that you're not, it's not just enough grace for the thorn. Look at the screen. He says, it's not going to just be enough grace for the thorn, but for five other things. He says, so you're thinking, oh God, I gotta get rid of the thorn. God goes, I'm gonna give you enough grace that you're gonna get through this thorn, weakness, insults, diseases, persecutions, difficulties, and just when you think you're about to give up, God says, I'm gonna send you some red letters to get you through not only what you're going through, but way more than you can ever imagine when God shows up. Because you know what we need, folks? You know what we need, balcony? You know what we need, main floor? You know what we need, United States of America? I'm gonna tell you. We 
just need one word from heaven. That's what we need. I'm telling you that right now. My hope, my hope is God speak to us again. My hope is God talk to us again. I don't care what you say, just say something, oh God. Here it comes, here it comes. This is incredible. This is, this is God, one word from Jesus said you can handle it all. Handle it all. <laughs> Just when you think it's all over, God shows up with red letters. Just when you think I can't go on anymore, this thorn is getting at me, this situation, God goes, just wait, red letters, just hear from me, hear from me. Stay put, let me speak to you. Can I tell you, in your toughest times, the move God always makes is with red letters. He makes that move. Listen now. As we hear it, get uh, the, the people, bring the people. The singing people, the singing people, bring them. There is a famous painting that has long hung in one of the European art galleries, and no one knows how long this painting has hung there. This is incredible. It's the picture of a chessboard, and on one side of the chessboard is this young man with this look of distraught and defeat on his face. His, I think his hands, my, someone, I, I, I have the picture of it, and, and it's distraught as he's looking at the chessboard. On the other side is Lucifer. It's Satan himself. And underneath the picture, it says, checkmate. What's amazing is I was reading the story that Paul Morphy, the only American chess champion of the world before Bobby Fischer, once was touring Europe and playing chess all over Europe, visited that art gallery. And because it was a chess painting, Paul Morphy started to study it. And then as he's staring at this, he looks at his entourage and says, bring me my chessboard. Bring me my chessboard. They bring his chessboard and they set it up. He sets it up exactly the way that the painting has that said checkmate. Satan sitting there smug that it's all over. A young man thinking my life is done. I've been checkmate. And then all of a sudden as Paul Morphy begin to study the board and asks that he would be, that, or begins to set everything up. The chess champion reached over to the board and moved on, on his board, the young man's king, one space. And he said, the devil is now checkmated. Because when the king, and this is what he said, because the king had one more move. This, this side gets it. You're still sitting there. So let me, let me try to get this side out of joke. You're still living in chapter 31 through 37. Somehow I got chapters 38 through 41 over here because all of a sudden you start to realize, you start to realize 
wait a second, I don't know if I can get through it. And all of a sudden, the red letters show up. And all of a sudden, you realize the king has one more move. There's one more moment for God just to step in and say, it's not over. You're not in checkmate right now. God has showed up. God is gonna get you through. God is gonna work a miracle. God is gonna begin to do something just when you thought it was done. Hallelujah. God came, God came. The King has one more move. The King has one more move. The King has one more move. Stand with me. Hallelujah. I'm tired. I'm telling you, just when I thought I couldn't know what to do, all I kept going, just speak. A red letter moment. The king has one more move. One more move. Just when Job thought, I've lost it all, God steps in, moves that piece over and said, now, checkmate. Your latter years are gonna be greater than your former years. The latter years are gonna be greater than the former years. The latter years are gonna be greater than the former years. Those latter years are gonna be greater than the former years. He's got something he's doing. The king has one more move. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right now, if you, I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're right now edging towards agnosticism. Some of you are already into angry with God. You're already into that. Some of you are just perplexed. But if you're here today and just say, I just need some red letters today. Would you raise your hand? I just need some red letters. I need for him to... We're, we're, we're going to sing that last song, and we're going to teach him that last song. We're going to sing that, that uh, you know. Um, I can't think of it. I was going to say, just sing the... Yeah, that's... Uh, no, we'll do that one at the end. Let's, let's do now the King Has One More Move song, whatever that we did. Either. I don't know of anything else right now. I'm tired. I'm tired. Oh God, my God, I need you. That's, that's the one. That's the King Has One More Move song. Okay. Balcony, main floor, online, just stay put. We're, we're going to be going to pray for you. We have our host to pray for you. You're, you're so special. Listen, I don't care what nation you're from. We're going to pray for you. But if you're here right now and just go, I need a red letter. I, let him talk to me about ostriches. I don't care. Let him say my grace is sufficient. I don't care what he says. Just one word. Just one word from heaven. 
If that's you, as we sing this, I want you just to come opening up your hands. Just quickly. If you could start getting out of your seat now. Balcony, come on. Get up here and just go, I just need a word from heaven right now. As we sing this, we're going to sing this chorus. Let's sing it. Let's sing it. Oh, God, my God. Sing it. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, just for a moment those at this hall just lift your hands and just let this let let these hands just go God I want to receive red letters right now just come and speak and what I want you just to start to pray just say say anything just say anything just speak to me just say whatever you want to say God one word from you one word from you changes the battle it changes what I'm going through Father, for those that maybe have, are teetering on atheism or even anger with God, unforgiveness towards God, God, I just pray that today is a day, it's a red letter day, that we realize your grace is sufficient. That we realize today you can speak on anything you want, oh God. We, our prayer today is this, just say something. Just say something. Just speak to us. Talk to us. Talk to us as we walk out of this place. Talk to us, oh God, as we go down into the stairwell for the subway. Talk to us as we catch a, a cab. Talk to us. Some of us are going to an airport. Whatever it is, just talk to us right now. We need a word from heaven today. Just one word from heaven today, oh God. Come and speak to us. I pray for these precious people that, Lord God, that are going through their season. There's people here with their hands up that literally it's been back to back to back to back. It hasn't stopped. Father, they, some of them can't even catch their breath. They haven't even caught their breath. It has hit their homes. It has hit their finances. It has hit their minds. It has hit their health. It has hit every part of their lives. And Father, they can't even catch their breath. And we declare today that there is an answer. And I want to be able to declare today, because you prayed, 
because you prayed, heaven answered. Because you prayed, red letters came. Because you prayed, God came out of the whirlwind and spoke to us. Father, come and speak to us today. I want to say this as you put your hands down for a moment. There's this amazing verse in Isaiah 43, and then we're going to, I want to teach you a song. It says, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, God promises this, I will be with you. He says, when you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, hallelujah, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And here comes the promise. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I'm with you. But here's the part I want to just, I want to, maybe at this altar, balcony, online, in this place. Being in church doesn't mean all of a sudden God is with you. It's when God is going to come, God is going to come inside of you. That's what he has to do. So can I just read to you some red letters for a moment? This is Jesus. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Those are the red letters. That's what Jesus said. He said, it, it's not just you being in a religious building. Because if I was to ask you today, how do you know God is with you? Well, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Jew. I go to Times Square Church. Can I just help you? There's not a building or a label you can put on you that says God is inside of me. You can go to, you can go to places of worship, but that doesn't change you. God has to be in you. That's what has to happen. He has to be in you. And that relationship is called being born again. It's when God changes you from the inside out. Just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. It's by admitting that we're sinners, believing that God sent his only son to begin to carry that sin burden and, and pay for that sin debt. And finally, that we confess him as Lord and say, you're in charge of my life. You can keep your heads up, you can keep your eyes open, because this is the most important question anybody can ask you. Have you been born again? Because there's not a fire. It's the difference between when you go through a fire and a situation. It's the difference of making you bitter or better. That's really what it is. You can go through the same thing as everybody else, but you come out differently. You come out like Job on the other side. You come out like Paul. You're going like, I didn't just get enough for thorns. I got enough for five more things because I've got Christ inside of me. If you have never been in a place to say, Christ, come in and change me from the inside out, this is your moment. It's as simple as just saying, come, come in and change me. I'm not inviting you to be a member of this church. I'm inviting you to invite God to come in and take control, being born again. If you're here today, with all, everybody look, listen, we, we, you have no need to be embarrassed. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to be part of it. I want to leave this place with God in my life with God inside of me. If that's you, without any hesitation, just raise your hand. Say, put me in that prayer. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. Keep them up. Keep them up. All over here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes, 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 yes. All back there. Keep them up. In the back there. Yes, yes. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see them. Yes. Got you guys over there. Yes, over there. Yes. Gotcha. Balcony. I want to make sure I see you. Yes, over there. What a blessing. Thank God. Can we all pray this together? Listen, let's all say this together out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Now, come on, say this loud. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my God. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.